Chapter Seven of Northwest. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Northwest by Harold Bindloss. Chapter Seven. An Insurable Interest. The sun was hot, and Jimmy loafed in an easy chair at the shady end of the terrace. Laura occupied a chair opposite. The small table between them carried some new books and flowers and fruit from the Pacific coast. In the background a shining white peak cut the serene sky. Three or four young men and women were on the veranda steps not far off. A few minutes since they had bantered Jimmy, but when Laura arrived they went. Jimmy rather thought she had meant them to go, and he gave her a smile. "'I expect you have inherited some of Mr. Stannard's talents,' he remarked. "'For example?' Jimmy indicated the rather noisy group. "'It looks as if you knew my head ached and I couldn't stand for Stephen's jokes. When you joined me, he and his friends went off. Your father arranges things like that without much obvious effort.' "'I knew the doctor stated you must not be bothered.' Laura admitted. Besides, I engaged to go fishing with Stevens and some others, and before I get back expect I'll have enough. Is Dylan going? Frank planned the excursion, said Laura, and Jimmy was satisfied. Dylan was a young American whom Jimmy rather liked, but to think Laura liked Frank annoyed him. Now, however, she had admitted that his society had not much charm. "'Anyhow, you're very kind,' he remarked, and indicated the fruit and flowers. "'These things don't grow in the mountains. The station is not far off, and to send a telegram is not much bother. To send up things from Vancouver is expensive. "'Sometimes you talk like a cotton manufacturer,' Laura rejoined. Jimmy colored, but gave her a steady glance. "'It's possible. My people are manufacturers. My grandfather was a workman. Not long since, I meant to cultivate out all that marked me as belonging to the cotton mill. Now, I don't know. Perhaps I inherited something useful from my grandfather. But in the meantime, it's not important. You are kind.' "'Oh, well.' said Laura. You were moody, and the doctor declared you had got a very nasty jolt. I was thoughtful. To some extent you're accountable. When one is forced to loaf, one has time to ponder, and when you inquired if I knew where I went, he stopped, for a guide, carrying fishing rods and landing nets, went down the steps, and Stannard came out of the hotel. "'Your party's waiting for you,' Stannard remarked to Laura, who got up and gave Jimmy a smile. "'Get well and then ponder,' she said, and joined the others. Jimmy frowned. The others, of course, ought not to wait for Laura, but Stannard had sent her off like that before. All the same, he was her father, and Jimmy owned he must not dispute his rule." When the party had gone, Stannard sat down opposite Jimmy and lighted a cigarette. "'I'm glad to note you make good progress.' 
In a day or two I'll go about as usual. In fact, if the others go fishing tomorrow, I'll try to join them. I think I could reach the lake. Some caution's necessary, Stannard remarked. You got a very nasty shake and ran worse risks than you knew. When you stopped in the bank of gravel, your luck was remarkably good. I did not expect you to stop until you reached the glacier. Then, had I not had a thick coat that helped to keep you warm, you might not have survived the shock. Afterwards, much depended on Deering's speed and his getting men who knew the rocks. Indeed, when we started, I hardly thought we could carry you down in useful time. Jimmy was puzzled because he did not think Stannard meant to imply that his help was important. The risk Jimmy had run, however, was obvious, and Stannard's talking about it led him to dwell on something he had recently weighed. Since I was forced to stay in bed, I've tried to reckon up and find out where I am, he said. You are my banker. How does the account stand? I imagine Laura's advice was good. Wait until you get better, Stannard said, carelessly. When I start to go about, I'll be occupied by something else. How much do I owe? For a few minutes, Stannard studied his notebook and when he replied, Jimmy set his mouth. He knew he had been extravagant, but his extravagance was worse than he had thought. "'Until I get my inheritance, it's impossible for me to pay you,' he said with some embarrassment. "'I, so to speak, have pawned my allowance for a long time in advance.' "'Something like that is obvious.' "'Very well. What am I going to do about it? My plan was to wait until you did get your inheritance, but I see some disadvantages," said Stannard in a thoughtful voice. The trouble is I might not inherit, Jimmy agreed. One must front things, and climbing's a risky hobby. We mean to shoot a mountain sheep, and I understand the bighorn keep the high rocks. Then we have undertaken to get up a very awkward peak. Well, suppose I did not come back. You don't expect a fresh accident. Haven't you had enough? However, if your gloomy forebodings were justified, I expect your relations would meet my claim. After all, mountaineering accidents are numerous, and you don't know Dick Leyland. You have got a bundle of acknowledgments, but the notes are not stamped, and Dick hates gambling. It's impossible he'd dispute my debts, and he's a remarkably keen businessman. If that is so, it might be awkward, Stannard agreed. But what about the other trustee? Sir James is in India. I expect he'd support Dick. During their lifetime, my share is a third of the house's profit, but, unless they're satisfied, I cannot for some time use much control. In fact, they have power to fix my allowance. Stannard's look was thoughtful, as if he had not known. But since Laura knew, Jimmy wondered why she had not enlightened her father. "'Very well,' said Stannard. My plan might not work, 
have you another? The other plan was obvious. Jimmy was surprised because Stannard did not see it. You trusted me and I mustn't let you down, he said with a friendly smile. If we insure my life, you'll guard against all risk. My interest is insurable, Stannard remarked and stopped. Then he resumed in a careless voice, Your caution's ridiculous, but if you are resolved, I suppose I must agree. In order to satisfy you, we'll look up an insurance office at Vancouver. Somehow Jimmy was jarred. Stannard's remark about his insurable interest indicated that he had weighed the plan before, and Jimmy thought his pause significant. Then, although he had agreed as if he wanted to indulge Jimmy, his agreement was prompt. For all that, the plan was Jimmy's, and Stannard's approval was justified. Then Deering came along the terrace and said to Stannard, "'Hello. I thought you had gone to write some letters, and Jimmy's look is strangely sober. Have you been weighing something important?' The glance Stannard gave Jimmy was careless, but Jimmy thought he meant Deering was not to know. Sometimes Jimmy's rash, but sometimes he's keener than one thinks. Anyhow, he's obstinate, and we were disputing about a suggestion of his I did not at first approve. I wrote the letters I meant to write. Sit down and take a smoke. Deering sat down, and they talked about the peaks they had planned to climb. A week or two afterwards, Stannard and Jimmy went to Vancouver, and when he had seen the insurance company's doctor, Jimmy walked about the streets. He liked Vancouver. When one fronted an opening in the rows of ambitious office blocks, one saw the broad inlet and anchored ships. Across the shining water, mountains rolled back to the snow in the north. On the other side, streets of new wooden houses pushed out to meet the dark pine forest. The city's surroundings were beautiful, but Jimmy felt that beauty was not its peculiar charm. At Montreal, for example, one got a hint of cultivation, and to some extent of leisure, built on long-established prosperity. Notre Dame was rather like Notre Dame at Paris, and St. James's was a glorious cathedral. Quiet green squares checkered the city and the streets at the bottom of the mountain were bordered by fine shade trees. Vancouver was frankly raw and new. One felt it had not yet reached its proper growth. All was bustle and keen activity. The clang of locomotive bells and the rattle of steamboat winches echoed about the streets. Huge sawmills and stacks of lumber occupied the waterfront. Giant trunks carried electric wires across the high roofs, and, until Jimmy saw the firs in Stanley Park, he had not thought logs like that grew. Then he thought the citizens typically Western. Their look was keen and optimistic. They pushed and jostled along the sidewalks. Jimmy saw an opera house and numerous pool rooms but in the daytime nobody seemed to loaf. All struck a throbbing note of strenuous business. 
Jimmy studied the wharfs and mills and railroad yard, but for the most part he stopped opposite the land agent's windows. The large maps of freshly opened country called. Up there in the wilds, hard men drove back the forest and broke virgin soil. Their job was a man's job, and Jimmy pictured the struggle. He had loafed and indulged his youthful love for pleasure, but the satisfaction he had got was gone. After all, he had inherited some constructive talent, and he vaguely realized that his business was to build and not to squander. Then Laura and the doctor had worked on him. Laura had bidden him study where he went. The other hinted that he went too fast. At one office he saw a map of the country behind the hotel, and he picked out the valley in which was Kelshope Ranch. There was not another homestead for some distance, and a notice stated that the land was cheap. Jimmy pondered for a few minutes, and then went in. The agent stated his willingness to supply land of whatever sort Jimmy needed, but he thought, for an ambitious young man, the proper investment was a city-building lot. In fact, he had a number of useful lots on a first-class frontage. Jimmy studied the map and remarked that the town had not got there yet. The agent declared the town would get there soon, and to wait until the streets were graded and prices went up was a fool's plan. Jimmy stated he would not speculate. If the price were suitable, he might buy land in the Kelshope Valley on the other map. The agent said the valley was not altogether in his hands. Kelshope was in Alberta, but for a split commission he could negotiate a sale with a Calgary broker. If one bought a block and paid a small deposit, he imagined a good sum might stand on mortgage. Jimmy replied that he would think about it and went off. It was not for nothing he had studied business methods at the Leyland Mill. In the evening he and Stannard occupied a bench in the hotel rotunda. Cigar smoke floated about the pillars. The revolving glass doors went steadily round, and noisy groups pushed in and out. But Stannard had got a quiet corner, and by and by Jimmy asked, "'Have you agreed with the insurance office?' "'They have not sent the agreement. I expect to get it.' "'Then I'd like you to go back in the morning and insure for a larger sum. I'll give you a note for five hundred pounds.' "'I haven't five hundred pounds,' said Stannard, with surprise. "'Why do you want the sum?' "'I'm going to buy a ranch near Jardine's,' Jimmy replied. "'The agent wants a deposit, and I must buy tools. Can you help?' Stannard looked at him hard and hesitated, but he saw Jimmy was resolved. "'I might get the money in three or four weeks.' It will cost you something. That's understood, Jimmy agreed. I don't, of course, expect the sum for which you'll hold my note. Will you get to work? I rather think your plan ridiculous. You thought another plan of mine ridiculous, but you helped me carry it out. 
Jimmy said quietly. Stannard looked up with a frown, for Deering crossed the floor. "'I've trailed you,' he shouted. "'There's not much use in your stealing off.' "'I didn't know you had business to transact in Vancouver,' Stannard rejoined. "'Dylan had some business and brought me along,' said Deering with a noisy laugh. "'Looks as if my job was to guide adventurous youth.' Jimmy smiled, for he imagined the young men Deering guided paid expensive fees. He did not know if Deering's occupation was altogether gambling, but he did gamble, and his habit was to win. Yet Jimmy liked the fellow. "'Jimmy's mood is rather adventurous. He wants to buy a ranch,' Stannard resumed. "'I understand he has interviewed a plausible land agent.' "'All land agents are plausible,' said Deering. "'Tell us about the speculation, Jimmy.' Jimmy did so. Stannard's ironical amusement had hurt, and he tried to justify his experiment. "'Looks like a joke, but I don't know,' said Deering. "'If you can stand for holding down a bush block until the neighborhood develops, you ought to sell for a good price.' All the same, the job is dreary. Have you got the money? I was trying to persuade Stannard to finance me. He doesn't approve, but thinks he could get the sum. That plan's expensive, Deering observed. What deposit does the agent want? Jimmy told him, and he pondered. Stannard said nothing, but Jimmy thought him annoyed by Deering's meddling. Moreover, Jimmy thought Deering knew. After a few moments, Deering looked up. "'If you mean to buy the block, I'll lend you the deposit, and you can pay me current interest. I expect the agent will take a long-date mortgage for the rest, but you ought to ask your trustees in England for the money.' "'Have you got the sum?' Stannard inquired. "'Sure.' said Deering, with a jolly laugh. Dillon and I met up with two or three sporting lumbermen who have just put over a big deal. My luck was pretty good, and I'd have stuffed my wallet had not a sort of Puritan vigilante blown in. He got after the hotel boss, who stated his was not a red lighthouse. Jimmy studied the others, and although Stannard smiled, was somehow conscious of a puzzling antagonism. On the whole, he liked Deering's plan. He did not think Dick Leyland would agree, but Sir Jim might do so. "'Thank you, but Stannard's my banker,' he replied. "'All the same, in the morning I'll write to my trustees.' "'Oh, well,' said Deering. "'If you want the money, I'm your man. "'But let's get a drink.' End of chapter 7 Recording by Roger Moline